Great is his faithfulness. He has never failed. The word says not one of the Lord's good promises has ever failed. We're so thankful for that. Well, good morning. Oh, man. You guys still awake? Good morning. Ah, that's better. Now I, no, I got an audience. Well, I'm wondering if sometimes we shake our heads in disbelief when we consider the disciples, how they didn't seem to get a clue half the time. They fled, they ran, they denied him. And we think, man, we could have done better. I mean, if we would have been there and we would have been with Jesus when he raised somebody from the dead, he healed leprosy, he gave sight to blind people, made water to wine, he changed the weather, we would say, I, I like this guy. I think we believe this guy. I, I'll stay with him. But I think we over estimate ourselves and are too hard on the disciples because we're going to learn that something that we already have they didn't have you know what that is the Holy Spirit why is it that we have any chance of victory in our life today is it because we're, we're better than those disciples we're smarter no I don't think so we have something you see these Jesus knew that these fearful men would fail him and deny him and they needed help. And we need that same help today. Absolutely do. So I would ask, do you want the power to live the Christian life well? Do you seek God's guidance in tough situations? Do you crave the courage to more boldly share your faith? Uh, do you wish uh, that you could step out and serve God in ways that you just feel like you may not be equipped? Um, do you want someone that will always be with you and never leave you? Never fail you? Well, I hope today that we'll all see in this text that we're going to discuss that God has already given us all this and more when he decided to say, I will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, and this is available to all who lovingly and obediently follow Jesus. So I invite you to join me as we continue our walk through the book of John and turn with me to John chapter 14. And we're going to be covering verses 15 to 24. And hopefully it will be on the screen behind me. If it's not, I'm sorry. Um, I'll be reading out of the NASB uh, version, starting at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, 
and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and hear some precious, precious promises that Jesus Christ, your Son, gave even us today. Father, would this word penetrate our heart? Would it speak to us in what you want to say to us? Would you remove me from the picture, but let your words be heard in every heart? Father, we need what you can do in each one of us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the illuminating power of the Spirit. Would you unleash it on us today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me uh, take a moment to just look back briefly at the scene we're in in John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, you know we're in the upper room. Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to be going away. They're distraught. Um, Within hours, he's going to leave them and die a gruesome death. Yet, he's still thinking about them, not him. He's still thinking about how he can comfort them. They need help. In verse 1 of uh, chapter 14, Jesus compassionately tells them, Hey, let not your hearts be troubled. And he gives many reasons now why that should be so. In fact, there's five uh, promises that he gives us before we get to our text. We've studied them in the past. He says, one, I go to prepare a place for you in verse 2. There's a place, like Matt said, there's a room with your name on it. So no matter what happens on this earth, there's a place reserved for you. And it says this, and not only is there a place for you, I'll be there with you. I'm promising you're going to be with me and I'll be with you. That's in verse 3. In verse 4, he says, And even though I'm going ahead and leaving you behind, you won't get lost because I am the way and the truth and the life. If you follow me, you'll get home. Well, then he says, Hey, I know you might think that I have been the ministry up to this point. I'm the one that's been doing everything. But you will do greater things than I have done. Amazing. Then he says, If you need anything, ask in my name, and I will do it. Now, right at the tail of this, Jesus takes a break and gives us three more absolutely what I consider over-the-top promises of what's going to happen. But, jumping into the passage in verse 15, let's read. It says, Jesus begins his next words of encouragement, quotes, his disciples by saying this if you love me you will keep or you will keep on keeping you will continually be keeping my commandments 
Does that sound comforting? It didn't to me at first. I read that several times. I go, what? Okay, I'm going to give you words that won't trouble your heart. If you love me, you'll obey me. Okay, why did you tell me that? Well, I think it's really more for us than them. But it's also for them. Um, If you really think about it, um, they had people in their midst that would uh, follow Jesus but not really love him. His name was Judas Iscariot. He was a pretend follower. They didn't even know he was a pretend follower, did they? they? They couldn't even tell. Jesus knew. But Jesus four times in this text says these same words. If you love me, you will obey what I tell you. And those who obey what I tell you are those who really love me. I think it was important to Jesus. Don't you? If he said four times in ten verses, do you think we should get a clue? I do. Get a clue. So the clue is this, though. The first thing it tells me is I think Jesus is trying to tell the disciples who can rely on these great promises and my presence that I've been talking to you about. It's not those who just mouth the words, yeah, I I think Jesus is cool. No. He says, they will be evidenced by those who really love me will obey me. They'll follow what I say. It's almost like, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. See, obedience has always been a hallmark of true belief and faith. And if we don't obey, if the pattern of our life is not obedience, we, and Jesus tells us, you might want to question if you're really following And it's interesting, Jesus is not meaning perfection here. Because in 1 John 1, 8, what does it tell us? If we say we have no sin, we're lying. Every one of us will fail. I hope not this week, but everybody will fail within the next some time period that you could pick. We'll all fail. We'll all not hit God's perfect mark. What are we supposed to do? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God knows we'll never be perfect. But the pattern of our life, the general trend of our life, ought to be one of obedience. If Jesus said it, it should matter to us. Because that's how we demonstrate we truly know him and love him. And that is the key that unlocks the rest of these passages. If we don't hold the key, we need to get the key. We want to unlock these promises for ourselves. And see, I love this because what Jesus has just done is blown open the upper room and says, these promises that I'm giving directly to my disciples are not just for them. It's for every one of us who trust and believe and love Jesus and are exhibiting a life trying to obey him. These passages are for us today. In fact, a Christian, you know, a Christian can't help but show that he's a Christian, a true Christian, because they've been given a new nature. According to 2 Corinthians 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. See, 
a true Christian just can't hide the fact that they have a new master. They will just show it by a pattern of life of obedience. So before we unpack Jesus' promises here, the question already kind of slapped me in the face as I started studying this. If this is true, that these passages truly apply to those who love, trust, and obey Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, and I have to ask myself, does my life exhibit a pattern of obedience? Am I kidding myself? If I, if I have a life that's patterned by disobedience, Jesus would say, like he said in uh, Luke 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do what I say? But if our life has a pattern, a trend, a direction of obedience, then we can rest assured that what he's going to say is our promise to keep. And I just encourage all of us just to examine yourself. Are you one who holds the key that can unlock this promise? You can be if you're not today. But if you are, I want you to really understand that God has some good news for you. So what is the help that Jesus promised to send? Well, he knew he wouldn't be visibly present for the next 2,000 years, right? He was going to go away, and he hasn't been physically present with us for 2,000 years. Although we know he's present, right? Two or more gathered in my name. He's present. Jesus is here right now. Whether you see him or not, he is here. Hi, Jesus. <laughs> but to ensure he didn't leave his children abandoned, he gave us three promises that provided them the help and the provision and the comfort they needed to get through life. But... I think what we have to say is, why are we people that need help? You might, ever, ever heard about it's difficult to save a drowning person that won't let you save them? It's really, it's re I studied this with some lifeguards, and they say you almost have to be brutal with somebody who's drowning because they will take you down. And so I said, oh, um, seat belts for years were never worn. Why? I don't need it. I'm a safe driver. All these things, there's things that were provided for our safety and our help, but we don't take them. So what does he say? Why do we need help? Well, first I think we know we need help because we individually, none of us, have the power to live a godly life without help. He says, no one, by no acts of righteousness will any flesh be justified. None of us have a chance to get to heaven on our own. We need help. And we need the Holy Spirit to, to bring us alive because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And you know it's difficult for a dead person to do something. Impossible? Right. Okay, it's not just difficult, it's impossible. But God said he made us alive through the Spirit. So that's the first thing that we need help with. The second thing is Christ knew we needed help just for daily living. So what makes us any different than the disciples. I think we are spiritually timid. And have you ever got to a situation where you know you should speak up for Jesus, but you went, mm, maybe next time. Okay, and you might feel guilty afterwards, so you know you should have, so, so you know you wanted to, so why didn't you? Why didn't I? Cowardly. We, we lack the power. We lack the courage. 
So these disciples needed courage. They needed power. We do too. We need the power to live the Christian life. Because the Christian life is not just difficult. It's impossible without the Spirit. So what we need to know here is with the Spirit, God turned some ordinary, cowardly, dense... I mean, if you have to know the questions that these disciples asked Jesus over the years, you go, have you not been paying attention at all? Right? They asked dense questions. But what changed them to clear-minded, bold, articulate speakers? The Spirit of the living God. The same thing that makes me able to stand up here. How God can use a dummy, even up here, is by the same Spirit. I, I don't have the skill to do what I'm doing. God gives me the skill to do it. So three things that Jesus promises right now. Let's just cover that. We're ready? The permanent presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Verses 16 and 17. The permanent presence of the Son of God. Verses 21 to 24. I mean, 18 to 20. And the permanent presence of God the Father. Verses 21 to 24. So let's just jump in. Verse 16. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Well, first I think it's important that we see here, Jesus says he's going to ask the Father that he give him the spirit. Well, asking. Is that the same as me saying, hey, uh, Bobby, I'll ask my mom if I can go to the party. I may or may not. That's not what Jesus means here at all. He says, I'm going to request as an equal to the Father, and Father and I are one. When I ask for something, it's a done deal. When I go, I want you to know, men, that this is a surety. This is absolutely going to happen. It's not a matter of when, it, of if, it's when. And the when was revealed in Acts chapter 1. Remember in verse 4, Jesus told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem until I send what the Father has promised. And in verse 8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And it did. Jesus' promise came true. He sent this power on the day of Pentecost and has been with us ever since. Now, the interesting thing here is when Jesus says, I will send you another helper, the another here, English is a weak language sometimes. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Greek has a lot more words for something that we say with one word like love another one is another we use the word another to mean something not like the first something else in, in, in Greek two words are used one is hetero meaning one of a totally different kind and allos which means one of exactly the same kind and Jesus says to them I will send you allos one who is exactly like me. Now, um, it's interesting that because exactly like Jesus would mean it would have the same nature, uh, the same attributes, the same uh, power, means they would have to be exactly like Jesus. And anything exactly like Jesus would have to be God. He is asking God to send God to these men's hearts. Now, is there any more powerful help 
that he could have asked for for you? Is there any, any person that he could put in your life that would have more power than God? No. This is the, this is the epitome, the pinnacle of help. God himself. Now, it's interesting to me that the helper that says, I will send you another helper. Well, this word is often translated comforter, counselor, uh, exhorter, intercessor, advocate, like Jesus said. You have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. Um, in this term, it's really come alongside for the purpose of help. Jesus is sending somebody to you, to me, for the purpose of giving you help. It's interesting, and this person is God himself. Now, that's interesting, too, to me, that do we know who he sent? The Bible teaches um, a lot of things about the Holy Spirit, but I think in church, he's sometimes the forgotten member of the Godhead. We consider him the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We need strength. We need conviction. And so we lean on the Spirit. But sometimes I think we're a little afraid of the Spirit. Uh, In some church circles, people say they get a little crazy in the Spirit. And so we maybe get scared or worried. That's not to be the case. Because right here, the Spirit... We don't want them to be forgotten. We want them to be just like Jesus and just like the Father. So let's see what the Bible says. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is not a force, not a power, not a will, but a person. The Holy Spirit is a person who has mind, will, and intellect and lives in you. He understands you. He can talk to you. He relates to you. He has emotions. He can be hurt. He can have joy. That's why the Bible says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't grieve a power. You can't grieve Star Wars' force. It doesn't care whether you use it or not. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the Holy Spirit of God who is a person. Now the second thing we learn is he is very God. He's no less God than Jesus. He's no less God than the Father. God didn't give you the third rate God in your heart through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, I think, because of the roles of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we as church members might think that the Holy Spirit is the weakest of the team, the lowest on the list. He's always mentioned third. Please don't. We can't ever think that way. All three members of the Godhead are co-equal have the same nature, same power, same omnipotence, same omniscience. They just have roles. They've agreed with themselves that the Father would be in the Father role. The Son would be the Savior. The Holy Spirit would be the revealer of Christ. But they're all God in the same power. And we never can, we should never talk to them as it. I have it, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not an it. It's a person. Now, I wish I had time to develop it more, but I think what we have to say is the divine person of the Godhead that Jesus promised is this person, 
this helper, this come alongside one, is going to be with us for how long? What does the verse say? Did you read it? Forever. So how long is that? Forever. Okay, how is this different? Why is this different that Jesus is telling his people? Why is it different? Well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was given and taken by God at need. Uh, He gave the Holy Spirit for people for craftsmanship. He gave the Holy Spirit for people to be prophets. He gave the Holy Spirit for people to accomplish great tasks for him. But also it could be taken away. It says that God took the Holy Spirit from Saul, who disobeyed him. And what did David in Psalm 51 pray? I messed up big time. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me like you did from Saul. Jesus is now promising something incredible. What's that? It will never, ever, ever, ever be taken away from you. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit that will live in you forever. Forever. And do you know what? I hear this all the time. Um, I wish I had more spirit control and more spirit. You will never have more spirit than you have right now. When you get to heaven and you are perfected, you will never have more, you won't have more Holy Spirit there than you have sitting in your pew today or being at home. If you have Jesus Christ and you follow him obedient, it says you have the person. Now, the question is, do you have the person like the whole person? When you're in a carpool and somebody gets in your car, you can pick up a half a person? Three quarters of a person? I bet you better pick up the whole person and you either have the person in your car or you don't have them in your car. In the same way, we have the Holy Spirit in our life or we do not have the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to know, when I give you the Holy Spirit, when you have faith in me, you will have the whole Holy Spirit. The whole person will be in you forever. That's an incredible thing. Well, the other thing too is that it says that the Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth. And it reveals God's truth. And we know that one of the things that the Spirit had revealed over time was this book. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And he revealed the word of God to men through the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit breathed into men, so they wrote this down. Do you know that this is the only source of absolute truth in the whole world? Right here. Everybody might have one. The Bible, God's word, is the only source of absolute truth. It's not the news. It's not your favorite podcast. It's not medical community. This This is God's word, and it is absolutely, without a doubt, true, without error, and without fallibleness. This is what we rely on. This is why, if, if, don't trust us, don't trust the church, don't trust men, don't trust pastors, don't trust elders. If it comes down to it, this is what you trust. Right here. Do not trust anything but God's word. Because... If we say anything different than God's word, we're wrong. You need to check us and clear us out. God's word must be trusted. It is true. It is revealed by the spirit of truth. Now, what it says here is the world cannot receive him, the Holy Spirit, because it does not see him or know him. 
Is it possible to miss God if he stands in the middle of your midst? What, happens to, what happened in Israel when Jesus was there? Did they miss him? Jesus said, just like they missed me, God was standing right in front of them and they missed it. They're not going to see the Holy Spirit either. In fact, the world is going to attribute what the Holy Spirit does in this church and all churches across the globe, what, what the Holy Spirit does in its transforming power, in its joy-giving ability, in its ability to reach out and transform people to be ministers of the gospel, it's, it's not going to understand it. In fact, we're told in 1 Corinthians 2, but the natural unsaved person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Do you notice it doesn't say he doesn't want to understand them? He cannot. So why are we confused when the world doesn't understand us? He should not be. Jesus said they will not. Does that change what we need to do? No. Does that mean we need to purposely make it hard? No. We need to make sure we're kind, considerate, share the gospel. We are telling them the good news. It's up to God whether he opens their eyes through the power of the Holy Spirit so they understand it. Our job is to share it. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal it. Well, it's interesting, too, that even in Pentecost, did you know this? In Pentecost, when these just plain guys got the Holy Spirit poured out on their lives and they were full of the Holy Spirit what did it say? It says they were talking in tongues they didn't understand, people were getting saved, there was joy all around and the crowd, what did they say? What did the crowd say? These guys are drunk! Why? What Jesus said was true, the world doesn't understand the work of the Spirit it cannot don't be surprised. So when your friends don't understand what we do in church, okay, don't, don't worry. They won't unless God talks to their heart. Well, the other thing we see here is that the third person of the Godhead now lives inside of us and he will stay forever. And either you have him or you don't. The only question is, does he have all of you? Let's move on. There are many things we can receive as the benefit of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And I just want to cover you. Why do we need help and what does the Spirit do for us? Well, some of the things that we do, uh, it washes, renews, and regenerates. It says in Titus that we couldn't even know God if the Spirit didn't work in our life. That's the first thing he does. Second thing, he places us in the body of Christ. Did you know that says according to uh, 1 Corinthians 12 that he immerses us, he baptizes us into Christ. Spiritually, we are immersed in Christ. And just think of it. If God wanted to get rid of you, now you are buried inside of Christ, the only thing he could have to do is he'd have to amputate part of Christ because you're part of his body. Do you understand how your security is written here? God is saying you're going to be secure. He provides power, courage, and backbone. We saw that in Acts to the, to the disciples and to us today. The Holy Spirit will teach us. According to John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. Have you ever read this book, the Bible, and you've read a passage 15 times, and all of a sudden you went, what? And it meant something different that day? Where did that come from? The Holy Spirit. He's the illuminator of this book. If you read this book 
that he helped men write down, you're not going to understand it at times. And you need his help. He's the teacher. And according to John 14, 26, he is our teacher. When you read this book, you should ask him, would you help me see what I'm supposed to see here? Other than five loaves, two fish. So what? Well, the next thing it says, he would strengthen us for life. That's Ephesians 3. He gives us strength. He intercedes with help on our weakness. Can you believe that any of us are weak? I am. But it says that when you don't know what to say, when you are so hurt, when you are so burdened down with an emotional burden, a a physical burden, and you don't even know how to pray anymore, guess who steps in? It says the Holy Spirit steps in. And when we don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit himself, person, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He says, you know, Father, they're mumbling right now but I know what they need. I would love to have somebody in my life that could come up when I, I can't articulate what I want to say and they said, what he really wants to say is this. Okay? This Holy Spirit not only knows what I need, but he knows what to ask for that God answers. Do you think the Holy Spirit's prayers are answered? You better count on it. He knows what you really need. We might be asking for the Porsche, but he knows what you really need. And he's going to ask for that. But also he gives us power over sin. Galatians 5. It says that uh, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Man, does anybody need power over sin? Me. Okay? I, I don't like confessing that much. I'd rather get it right the first time. Um, but according to Ephesians 5, he says that we should be continuously filled or walk or surrender our lives moment by moment to the control of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's ability to work and through us is only limited by our obedience and surrendering. Did you know the reason that you're not a super Christian as you might want to call yourself or you're not more powerful or you're not more able to resist temptation or whatever is not because you don't have enough of the Spirit. It's because we haven't surrendered to the Spirit and let him lead us where he wants to lead us in obedience. If we, it says here, if you surrender, if you are filled with the Spirit, you will not do what you don't want to do. And you will have power to do what you want to do. This is an amazing trade. You can walk in weak and come out powerful. That's why he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I finally realize I need to lean on the Holy Spirit, I finally have strength. Well, As I read this piece, the last piece I want to say is Jesus promises through the Spirit that our lives will be characterized by something. You can tell when somebody is walking by the Spirit. Do you know what that is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things. Wouldn't you like to have a life that was characterized by love, by peace, by joy? by kindness, by goodness, by faithfulness, being reliable. I can tell you what, when I am not patient with my wife, who's sitting right here, it's not because she's exasperated me too much. It's because I'm not being controlled by the Spirit. See, lack of patience is a spirit problem. Lack of love is a spirit problem. The lack of joy 
is a spirit problem. When we see and are surrendered, a life controlled by the Spirit, it produces automatically. It's like I used to tell people, when a peach tree produces a peach, it's not going, point. It's not because of effort. It's just healthy. And when it's dependent on the ground and the roots and the water, it just produces fruit. That's what Jesus said we'll do. We'll produce fruit that looks like the fruit of the Spirit. Wouldn't this place be remarkably transformed if everybody, every Sunday, came that way? I wish I could. I want to. May God make it so. I'm going to go quickly because there's two more promises. The second promise says, although he was physically going away, he wasn't going to give himself. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Verse 18, I am coming to you. Unlike any other parent who dies and leaves orphan children, when I die... I'm coming back. What a promise. I'm coming back. And you'll see me. And it says here, after a little while, the world is no longer going to see me, but you're going to see me. And because I live, you also will live. He says, I'm going to be the proof that you need, that this resurrection you've studied in the Old Testament the whole time through, it's real. Because when I die, I'm coming back. And when you see me, you know it's going to apply to you too. He's going to give them hope that, hey, death is not the end of this thing. Um, I, I'm coming back and death is not the end. In fact, it becomes, according to Titus and other verses, this is the hope of the church. This is Thessalonians. It says, the return of Christ and the resurrection of the saints is the hope of the church. Did you know that? This is what Jesus did. He defeated sin and death. Death is no longer the end for the believer. What's the end? When we say someone dies, what's the word we should use instead of goodbye? See you later. I told my mom, mom, I'm a little jealous. You get to get there first. But I'll see you later. Yeah, I said, in fact, I'll probably annoy you because you'll just be getting started talking to Jesus and I'll tap you on the shoulder and you'll say, has it been that long? I just got here. Leave me alone. I'm talking to Jesus. And we, t we laughed about that because it's see you later. Jesus, when he comes back from the dead, he promises them they will too. And that's our promise today. Death is not the end. And he says then next, on that day you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. I, I just leave it to anybody to try to explain that to anybody. Um, it really is a lot of ends. But we know for sure, what we can know for sure, that when the Holy Spirit came, which was on Pentecost, he revealed things to our hearts and to the disciples' hearts that let us believe the fact that Jesus' relationship with the Father, as he is in the Father, we are going to be placed in Jesus. And Jesus in us. That's a permanent, that is a significant relationship. Your relationship to God now is going to be like Jesus's. Do you see that? He's putting us in a relationship that has significance and permanence. And he says, by the way, when I come back, I'm going to live in you. You're going to be in me, and we can't get any closer. I'm, going to, I'm not going to be far away at all. I'm going to be in you, and you'll be in me. And if I knew how to explain that better, I sure would to you. But all I know is he lives in my heart. You ask me why I know he lives. He lives within my heart. 
Jesus reveals to his disciples and to us. When we know him and the Spirit's power, the Spirit tells us we belong to him and he lives in us. Well, it's interesting that we could say we never had Jesus with us physically, but we take Jesus wherever we go. Do you know that believer, when you have Jesus living in you, that means whenever you worship God, Jesus is there with you worshiping, right? Is that true? Okay. Well, let's say you have a bad day and you go over here and sin. Does Jesus wait in the car? No. It says Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, neither will the Holy Spirit. So what happens? Well, according to Paul and Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he warns them, by the way, don't you know that he is so close to you that even though you sin and you go sleep with a prostitute, Jesus is not leaving. What kind of commitment is that from our Savior? It's incredible. But he says, don't do it. You're sullying the name of Christ and you're taking Jesus wherever you sin. Wow. I said, two things came out at me with that. One is on my darkest day, when I'm discouraged, I have God living inside of me, encouraging my heart. Even if all my friends flee, I have Jesus that encourages my heart. But it also means that there is no secret sin. Jesus goes wherever you sin. And I don't want to do that to him. So it's a sober warning for us. We don't want to do that. Lastly, I I would say the third promise is it says this in verse 21. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And once again, we're talking about this four times through. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him. And I will reveal myself to him. I think this is interesting too because of one thing. Didn't the Father, it says that if you love him, the Father will love us. Sounds like an if-then, doesn't it? If you love me, the Father will love you. Well, don't we read John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Uh, Don't we read in Acts 5, uh, 18, But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So who's loving first? In 1 John 4, it says, We love because God loved us first. But now I read, because we love him, he loves us. So what's true? Did he love us first or did we love him? does he love us because we love him? Yes. Both. But the loves are different. The love that Jesus has for the world is not the same as this intimate, personal love that he's promising here. This is like the intimate love of a marriage. As I say, I, I said the first verse, I love you all. I really do. I care about you all. I want you all to know my Jesus. I want you all to be happy in heaven with me. But I don't love you like I love my wife. And I never will. That intimate love that I have with my wife is not going to be shared with anybody else. This is the intimate love that God is talking about here. It says God's going to move away from his general love of the world to a relational, personal, intimate love with you where he's going to reveal himself to you. And you get to see him. And he knows all about you. And he loves you intimately. 
more intimately than maybe a husband and wife. What kind of a relationship is that? Jesus has now promised amazing things. The Spirit will come to be your helper. I'll come and never leave you, even if you go sinning. And three, the Father is going to come and live with you. That's what it says next in verse 23. If anyone loves me, again, he will follow my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. What? I, I, I just, we just heard that Jesus built a home for us. He can't wait. I, look, and I'm not going to wait for you to get up there. I'm coming moving in. You now have a crowd in your heart. You have the Father. You have the Son. You have the Holy Spirit all living in you. Is there any reason we don't have enough power for this life? Absolutely not. The only problem is me. Will I ask for it? Will I be obedient? And will I surrender to the Spirit's control? That's the only questions we have. Well, I think we all need help today. I think we need help every day. And Jesus purchased that help for us on the cross. And the Father's already sent it in the person of the Holy Spirit and their promised presence. But as you know, just because help's available doesn't mean we'll take it. Um, it's interesting to me that we say, does anybody like to ask for directions? And when you get directions, do you always take them? Oh, no, there's a better way to get there than that. Yeah, okay, I, I get to where we're going, but now I'm going to go my way. Okay, I think God has now, through the Holy Spirit, given us all what you might call the divine navigator. It's kind of like the, the really big Google map for life. And just because Google map says to go a direction doesn't mean we take it. And God's saying, I have directions for your life, step by step. Will you follow me? And we have to decide yes or no. He's in us. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. He's close to us. But if we don't listen to what he tells us, we're going to get lost. Well, I know the question remains. We have all of him. Does he have all of you? Does he have all of me? Does he? Is it not a command according to Ephesians 5.8, it says, be filled, be continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit. If we ignore that command, well, who are we? We're people who do not obey his commands. So the question is, God doesn't want us to be left out. He doesn't want us to lack the Spirit's help. He wants us to do this. We want to obey. And sometimes he'll tell us, things like the spirit will talk to your heart and say you know what you really need to ask that person for forgiveness or you, you really need to mend this relationship oh, or maybe you really need to serve in that ministry or whatever he tells you and we say nah I got a better plan nah I don't think so the point is is he telling you anything today that you might be obedient to the Lord's commands and demonstrate your love for him I would, I would encourage you to just test your heart and see, is there anything I'm holding back on, God, that I'm not surrendered? He wants you to because it's good for us to have the Spirit's power. 
Second, if you don't know Jesus Christ as our savior, your Savior today, you don't have to leave here without these same precious promises. It's not too late. You're here. And because you're here, you have the opportunity to hear that if I put faith in Jesus Christ, my Savior, the one who died on a cross to pay for the forgiveness of my sins, who walked out of a grave three days later to show that death could not conquer God and to demonstrate that the payment was accepted by God, who lives on high as our king and he will return as our soon coming king. If you believe in this Jesus, all of these promises are yours today. Your life can be marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'd love more joy. Wouldn't you? I'd love more peace. This world is nuts. This is not a peaceful place. And sometimes even in the house of God, it's not a peaceful place. And we all struggle with the same things. But God says, look, I got an answer for you. This person that lives in you that's been waiting quietly for you to ask will give you all the power you need so you can step out and turn your world upside down just like those disciples did. If you'll just let me. Do you want to turn your world upside down? Do you want to have peace, joy, love? I got the plan. It's called the Holy Spirit and he can deliver that in your life without end. Without end. Well, may you go today reveling in the wonderful gift he has given us in the help and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and also knowing that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit form the heavenly crowd that lives in your heart and walks with you everywhere you go. And your need or your request for help needs to go no farther than your heart. Because he's there waiting to help his children live for him. Well, we've all been on the opportunity and the power to live a victorious life. I just pray that all of us will use the help we've been given. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your patience and your kindness for not just landing on us when we haven't obeyed immediately on all your commands. But Father, thank you for gently leading like a shepherd and causing us to want to obey giving us the desire to follow and giving us the power once we decide to follow to actually complete the mission successfully. Father, thank you for each person here. May you speak to each heart and encourage them that help is here. Just ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.